public reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. All right, fantastic. Well, I invite you to open in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. It can be a little bit difficult to find. It's roughly a little bit past middle of your Bible. If you're there, it's a minor prophet. And in my Bible, it is only four chapters long, which means it only takes up two pages. So if you're not careful, you might go past it when you're flipping through. If not, don't worry, it'll be up on the screen. We start a new series today. We just finished up one on the Ten Commandments, and now we will walk through the entire book of Jonah. It's only going to take us roughly seven weeks to do that. Again, it's only four chapters long, and that'll take us right up into Christmas, which while I'm thinking about, we are going to meet here on Christmas, 10 a.m., and that is an opportunity and that is an opportunity. I looked it up. You know you will not have the opportunity to worship on the Lord's Day on Christmas again until 2033. I had no idea it was that rare. But apparently Christmas falling on a Sunday is a kind of a rare thing. The 25th falling on a Sunday. But I left what Google told me. Ben's doing math. He doesn't believe me. But I'm telling you, I have looked it up. But we will meet right here. And if, you have, uh, if anybody is available to help us Christmas Eve to set up, we're going to set up here Christmas Eve, so that way Christmas morning people can still celebrate with families, open gifts, and they'll come into an already set up place. We'll do our service. The plan is some kids are going to sing something, memorize something, if they cooperate, but it'll be fun. So we invite you to do that and invite your friends to do that. But that's going to take us then to the end of the year. And so that's where we're going. I love starting new series. They're like fun. I get to dive into something new and fresh and read something for me. But what I want us to see as the series as a whole, that this book is particularly about the grace of God. I don't know that's what we always think about with Jonah, because I think we think about the, the obvious thing with Jonah. You can see in some of the graphic if you see it, and that's Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. And we'll get to that at some point, but that's not really the big point of the book of Jonah. The big point of the book of Jonah is that Jonah is like the worst prophet ever. He is, he's terrible. He does the opposite of what God tells him to. When he does what God does tell him to, he does it with a terrible heart. He's angry. He's merciless. He's obstinate. And he is, he is an angry man. And yet all throughout the book of Jonah, God 
is showing his relentless grace, the fact that he is the total opposite of him. God is full of mercy. God is so intentional, and God is slow to anger. There is a contrast happening in the book that you're supposed to see, that there is Jonah, who is all the things that we often are, and there is God, who is the God of the Bible, who is compassionate and kind and loves the sinful city of Nineveh and even loves the sinful prophet Jonah. And so that's what we want to see, is that this is a book about God's grace that we want to see. And so we've named the series, and the thing that we want you to be thinking through as you come through the series of the book of Jonah is that grace abounds to sinners and prophets. Now, all prophets are sinners. So I guess I just titled that to say, if you're here and you know you are a sinner— Grace abounds to you. And if you're here and you don't think of yourself as a sinner as you ought, I hope we change your mind and that you will know that grace abounds to you as well. That's the point. That's where we want to go through the next four chapters of the book of Jonah. But for today, we're just going to look at six verses. Today, we just want to look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And so let's look at that together. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the, sea threat, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. As we look at these six verses together, I want you to see one thing about grace and three characteristics about sin. The one thing about grace that we're going to see all through that, throughout today's passage is this. You cannot outrun God's grace. You cannot outrun God's grace. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Jonah. But the three things I want us to see about our sin is, number one, that it is intentional. Number two, that sin creates desperate situations in our lives. Finally, that sin will conceal even the most obvious of truths. Sin is intentional. It creates desperate situations, and it conceals obvious truths. That's what we want to see as we pick apart Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. So looking at the first three verses together, we read them again for us. We want to learn that sin is intentional. I'll work through the passage slowly. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So this story starts off, this true story that we find in the book of Jonah, and it is right off the get. There's not much of an introduction. We're straight into action. God is speaking to this man, Jonah, the son of 
Amnitai, and it roots it right there in history. Jonah is also mentioned in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25, and that helps us date the events of Jonah. That is happening sometime in the first half of the 8th century. This is before what's getting ready to happen with the Assyrians. The Assyrians are going to come in, and they're going to invade where Jonah lives, in the northern part of Israel. At this place, or at this time and place, Israel is two kingdoms, the southern kingdom Judah and the northern kingdom Israel. And Jonah is a prophet prophesying to the people. And we learn that again from Second Kings in that northern kingdom. Now, Jonah may have heard other prophets, and maybe he believes the word of God, and he knows that one day the Assyrians are going to come and take over, or maybe he's just privy to world politics around him, and he knows the Assyrians are big, bad, and nasty people, and they have a way for coming in and taking over smaller countries like Israel. And one day, that is what is, what is going to happen. But right now, God is calling to go to those Assyrians because you see Nineveh, the great city, is the capital of Assyria. And so God is calling Jonah to go to the capital city of the biggest, baddest guys that are around at the time. And he's telling them to call out against their evil, to prophesy against them. That's just a way of saying because their evil has come up before the Lord, which is just a way of saying that they are particularly cruel and evil. We're not totally exactly sure what they were doing. We do know that through some archaeology and things around the time that there were kings who were known to tear off the lips of their enemies or rip their hands straight from their wrist, which is pretty cruel and it's a pretty depraved thing to do. We don't know specifically what is happening, but we know that they were mean. They were nasty. They were evil. And Jonah is called to go to these people and call out against their depravity. Now, I'll save the real reason why Jonah doesn't want to go till later in the book. You'll have to keep coming to figure that out. But that's not even the real reason he doesn't go. For now, it's left to our imagination. So here they go, and Jonah hears this call from the Lord that he is to get up and go to Nineveh and prophesy a great that against that great city, but as we learn in verse 3, but Jonah arose not to go preach to Nineveh, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it. So with to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Listen, Tarshish is in the exact opposite direction. It would be in Spain. He doesn't even need a boat to get to Nineveh. Nineveh would be a land trip. It's northeast of where he's going. He goes southwest across the Mediterranean Sea. He's going in the total and complete wrong direction. Jonah is in escape mode. Jonah's sin is leading him away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah's a smart guy. He's a prophet of the Lord. Jonah knows things like Psalm 139. He knows, where can I go to escape the presence of the Lord? He knows the answer is nowhere. I don't think Jonah is trying to literally escape God or he thinks he can necessarily outrun God. Jonah has just decided in his heart, I'm not going to serve God. God has told me to do this, and I am not going to do it. I'm going to do my way. I'm not going to do things God's way. We see throughout this time and in First and Second Kings, again, we can date it in that time that this idea of the presence of the Lord and standing in his presence was synonymous with obedience to what God has called us to do. 
proximity to God isn't something like we can just get away from him. He exists everywhere. I told my son that this week, and he goes, what? God is bigger than outer space? I said, yeah, he is. Jonah knows he can't escape God's presence, but Jonah has decided in his heart that he wants to do what he wants to do. And that teaches us a very important thing about sin, and that's this. Sin is intentional. We look at this passage, and we pick up in verse 3, we see there are at least five action words given to us in this passage that Jonah does. He sets in his heart, he, he doesn't want to do what God has called him to do. He's going in the opposite direction, and so he rises to flee Tarshish. He makes up his mind, I'm going to do what I want to do. But when he decides to do what he wants to do, he then has to go down to Joppa. That's not something that, like, you just take an Uber 20 minutes to do. He's got to think about this, his whole travel and journey down. He knows he's going in the wrong direction so he can do the wrong thing, but he just keeps doing what he wants to do. He then seeks out and he finds a ship going to Tarshish. He's going to go in the opposite direction, and so he seeks out that ship and he goes and he finds it. He then pays the fare so that he can get on the ship, and then he goes down into the ship to go his own way. This is no accident. He didn't slip and fall into the ship, wake up and say, oh man, I guess we're going in the wrong direction, my bad. He's going the wrong way because he wants to go the wrong way. And that's the reality for us too. We go our own way because that's exactly where we want to go. Sin does not happen by accident. It's intentional. We plot. We think. We're like a teenager who sneaks out the window and waits for mom and dad to go to bed and puts the car in neutral because you can't start it up in the driveway. Then they'll know, and you push it down the driveway, and you push it out, and then they get caught, and they say, but Jimmy made me do it. You push the car down the driveway. You're responsible. We want to blame shift our way out of sin. We blame someone else, other people, our past. Or we just claim we didn't really mean it, that somehow our motives didn't line up with our actions, that our actions did one thing, but our motives were something better. We say silly things like, I only got so mad because I love you so much. We try to claim that our sin comes from a place that's somehow still inherently good, that we're good people, even though we find ourselves in messy and hard situations. And the fact is, is we all look more like Jonah than unlike him. Our sin is intentional, and it is planned. We think through the things we want to do. We daydream about it. We mourn it. We think about when we'll be alone or how to get alone. All the while, we can call out to a friend, or we can go to the Word of God. We can pray. We can go to God himself, but we don't do that. We take each little step in the wrong direction. Jesus doesn't mince words about this. We want to try to curb the pain, but Jesus says something, and he makes it really clear where your sin comes from. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 35, he says this, For no tree bears bad fruit, 
nor does any, nor, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes, grapes picked from bramble brush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasures, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What Jesus is simply showing us is this. Bad fruit means bad root. Our actions are bad and our words are bad. Our thoughts are bad because the heart is bad. That sounds like really bad news, but I'm telling you it's the best news you have. Because if your heart is ultimately the problem, then we know the remedy. But later for that. See, our sin is the result of purposeful actions. And as we make each wrong step, we compile the consequences of sin, and eventually, our sin creates a desperate situation. And that's exactly where Jonah finds himself, verses 4 and 5. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Now here's the good thing, and I told you I'd be trying to point this out each way throughout the story, is yes, Jonah's sin is intentional. He's going in the wrong direction, but the good news is you cannot outrun God's grace. Verse 4 tells us, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God loves Jonah, and he's going to pursue Jonah. He's not going to let his prophet get away from him. So even though Jonah wants to run away from the presence of the Lord, God is telling me, you can't get away, or telling Jonah, and I guess me too, you can't get away from me. He hurls this wind across the sea, and he causes this desperate situation in Jonah's life to the point where even these seasoned mariners, these people who know their way around a boat, are terrified for their lives. Jonah's sin has not only placed him in a desperate situation, he has placed other people in a desperate situation. But God's grace cannot be outrun, and the Lord is at work here in it. See, when we continue down our own path and we make each of those steps away, sin compiles and it snowballs and it gets greater and greater, and we will end up in a desperate situation. Now, I would encourage you, headed off at the pass. Don't be like Jonah. When you find yourself on your own version to Joppa, turn around then. Repent early. It will make life better and easier for you. That's actually what the Christian life looks like. We just get better as we grow to be a little faster, to admit that we're wrong, to admit that we're doing what we want to do rather than doing what God desires. But that's not what Jonah does. And Jonah finds himself in this hard situation. These mariners are 
desperate and they're crying out to their gods, just anybody who might listen because they don't want to die. And they start to hurl their cargo over the ship. And it's interesting because the same verb that is used for the Lord hurling the great wind against the sea is the same verb that's used for God or for these mariners to hurl their cargo over the ship. And we see that their efforts are futile you found yourself and you're living in your own way, doing things what you want to do, living the life of sin, and you're finding yourself in desperate situations, the temptation is going to be, I can just fix it myself. I'll just lighten the load here. I'll just get rid of this over here. I'll cut that out of my life, and I'll just do it all on my own. And the reality is, is you can hurl all you want, but you cannot do this on your own. You need God to help you. They're crying out to their false gods and making their own man-made attempts. But God's judgment cannot be escaped. Yet Jonah is still trying. He moves himself deep into the hole of the ship, almost as if he can get away from the presence of God, if he can just get away from the surface. And he finds himself and he falls into a deep sleep. The word there that's used in the original language helps us understand that this, this is a really deep kind of sleep. And, and I, don't, I don't know why Jonah falls asleep at the bottom of the ship. I don't know if he's, I don't know, just a land-loving guy and needs to go to the bottom of the ship and sleep so he doesn't get sick. I, I have no idea. But I'll tell you this. Oftentimes when we're in escape mode and we want to do our own thing, sleep can be a tempting place to go to just get away from it all. Jonah is on the run, no matter why he is sleeping. Jonah wants to escape from God's command. Put him in a desperate situation. Escape is so tempting and alluring for all of us. If I can just find an easy way out of this, if I can just move and get myself in a different kind of situation, then things will be better. My friend and mentor recently wrote a book called I Want to Escape. It came out earlier this month. His name is Rush Witt. You guys are all lucky. I just spent eight years with Rush to learn from him. You can just read like 100 pages. But in that book, he has four common routes of escape that I think are just helpful for us to think through as we try to apply this passage to our lives and we think, are what are ways that I may be trying to escape? And it's these four he gives, denial, distraction, deflect and destroy, and death. We often want to escape, and maybe we just want to deny that anything is wrong. Think maybe nothing's really truly wrong with my problems. There's not really anything going on. I can just deny it and pretend like there is no real problem. Or, this is the one I kind of personally deal with, is distraction. I can just entertain myself into not dealing with the difficulties of life. I can stream Netflix, look at social media, pick up a new hobby, just whatever it is that might be distracting. Read a different book. Live life in fantasy world instead of living it in the real world. Daydream my way away from all of my problems. Just get a little distracted. 
Or do we deflect and destroy? We don't take any personal responsibility, so it's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. If someone tries to help us, we just attack them. We, we walk around like there's a chip on our shoulder. We make it really hard for anybody to try to help us deal with anything, and that helps us escape from the world. And so we lash out and we fight back, or even in really hard, difficult cases, we'll crave death. Maybe that'll be a way that we can just get away from it all. I don't bring that up lightly. I'm not trying to pull it from anywhere. I'm bringing it up because Jonah is on a boat that is literally threatening to be torn apart. The author personifies this inanimate ship made of wood, meaning he gives it human-like characteristics. He's trying to show us that even the boat knows that it can't withstand this storm. And Jonah has resolved himself to go into the hull of the ship and sleep through it. He longs for escape. He's in a desperate and hard situation. So we all long for, we all want to escape and get out of really hard situations. Nobody wants to stay there. We find ourselves in desperate situations. It's as if a fork in the road appears, and you have two choices. You can continue to go your own way. Perhaps it's one of those common routes or some other that I just haven't mentioned today. And you can head your own way. Or you can do things God's way. You can find a good way to escape a bad situation. But before I can tell you how to do that, I have to keep walking with Jonah for one more verse. See, the path of sin has one more stop, at least this morning. We have to see that it is intentional. We have to see that if we don't put a stop to it, if we continue down that path of doing things our own way, Things will get worse and worse and worse. What will eventually happen is that sin will conceal even the most obvious of truths. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. pagan sea captain has to come and tell him the most obvious thing to do. Cry out to God. You're getting ready to die. Pray for your life, prophet. The words of the sea captain mimic the words of God in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. The sea captain says in verse 6, Arise, call out to your God. The sea captain's words are going to sound very similar to the king of Nineveh later. He says, Perhaps the God will give thought to us and we may not perish. These pagans who do not know God seem to know God better than the prophet of God. 
prophet of God is sleeping in the bottom of a ship instead of calling out for his life. It's such a sad thing. Every time I read the verse, my heart sinks just a little bit. Perhaps the God will give thought to us. We may not perish. I don't know, Jonah. Call to your God. Maybe he cares. Maybe he cares about us. Sin conceals the most obvious of truths. God loves you. He has promised to deliver you. Don't cry out to him because he might hear your call. You don't cry out to him because he might save your soul from death. He stands ready to save you from sin and death. When we find ourselves in desperate situations, we are tempted to believe the most obvious lies. We're tempted to believe that maybe God has stopped caring about me. He just doesn't care anymore. I want you to know he does. 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises you this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. Interesting about this word that's translated as temptation here in 1 Corinthians 10:13, as it could also be translated as trial. So this morning, whether you find yourself in temptation, as in you are in sin or in trial, like the life's difficulties have just surrounded you, I think the passage is still good and helpful. There is nothing that has happened to you that is totally unique to your situation that nobody else has ever experienced. It is common to man. That doesn't mean, doesn't take anything away from your difficulty or from your struggle, but what it means is you're not alone. You're not alone in this difficulty. One of the most obvious truths that gets covered in sin that the enemy wants to do is you're all by yourself. No one will understand you. you. You can't go to anybody else about this. And that's just not true. Isolation kills. You're not alone. There is no temptation that is uncommon to man, that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide you a way of escape. You always have the ability to get out. You can leave your sin behind you. You are not doomed and destined to do it forever. God is providing you a way of escape. That doesn't mean easy. That doesn't mean simple. It often means really, really hard. But there is a way. You can escape And you will be able to endure this. 
and endure it for the glory of God. That's his promise to you because he loves you. Don't be blinded to that obvious truth. It's something that sounds just so faint. We sing about it. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the love that bought me. Listen, it's true. He is seeking you out. Grace cannot be outrun. You're his and he is never gonna let you go. He's faithful. He has you. He's providing ways of escape. He is giving you the ability to endure it. So what can you do? Well, here you go. I want to make this practical. If you're here right now, if you're like me and you're dealing with sin in this life, there's nobody who isn't. If you know that your sin is intentional, that you do it, because sometimes if you're just honest, you want to. There's good news for you. And it's as simple as A, B, C, D. I don't know, I had four of them and this is the best I could do for you. Number one, admit you're weak. Because it'd be helpful if you're in community group leader, Write them down, because it's literally in one of the questions. Admit you are weak. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, if you are human and you are here this morning, you're weak. You cannot save yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. Your sin, your struggle with sin is too much for you. You've got to admit that and know that God is powerful and that he is on your side and he is promising, he is promising to you that his power will be made perfect in your weaknesses. So you have to admit that you are weak. Number two, believe that God wants to help us. Believe that God wants to help us. Psalm 121 verses 1 through 2 says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When the psalmist talks about lifting his eyes to the hills in the context of this particular psalm, the hills were where his enemies would attack him from. And so he lifts his eyes to the hills knowing this is where danger is going to be. And he thinks to himself, where is my help going to come from? Because my enemies are going to come from the hills that surround me. But my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven of earth. And he says it with confidence. If you had more time, I'd read the whole psalm to you. But it is God's promise that he's going to deliver and help his people. God wants to help you. A.W. Tozer said, the thing that comes to our minds when we think about God is one of the most important things about us. This is one of those things. If you see God as just some far-off figure waiting to smite you for doing bad things, you will never run to him for help. You have to know who he truly is. He's the God of the book of Jonah. He's the God that is slow to anger, compassionate and kind. He is the God who desires to help you in your desperate situation. You must believe what is already true about him. He loves you and he cares for you. Third, cry out for grace. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jonah is running away from the presence of the Lord, traveling down to Joppa, finding a ship, paying the fare, getting into it. And then once he's into it, he goes down as deep as he can into the hall and he falls into a deep sleep. He's running away from the presence of the Lord instead of running to him. Knowing that our Savior sympathizes with us, Because of that truth, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're in a desperate situation, you need to cry out for the Lord's help. Through prayer, through other people, you need to go, I need some help, I need some grace, help me. That is your hope And it is a sure hope. You can say, but I have no confidence left. Good. Step one, admit you're weak. My fear is you didn't hear me when I said step two. Believe God wants to help you. He wants to help you. Like a father just begging for his child to rescue him. God looks at you with compassion and love and he wants to help. He is that kind of God. So go to him with confidence, confidence that when you go to the throne of grace, you will receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. And finally this, Desire his glory above all else. This is a hard thing to do, especially when we're in desperate situations and we are hurting. The thing we desire most, most often, I know I have, is I just want relief from my situation, whatever that is. I want the situation to be over. I want it to get easier. I want the things around me to change. But God is after something else. We must desire in all of this that his glory is what shines brightest. That in our rescue, whatever form it may take, it will take the form that brings him the most glory and honor. And we need to trust that that is the best thing for us. That in our desperate situations, God's way is what is best. That he desires his own Glory, Psalm 143, 11 through 12. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, that you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Why does he do it? For his name's sake, for his glory, because his glory is the greatest thing that there is. 
And if we can position ourselves, if we can understand that that is what is actually best for us as well, then we will be able to endure and persevere through trial no matter what comes, knowing that it will bring out the best thing, God's glory and our good. We must desire his glory above all else. And that is hard. That is hard to do in the middle of it. I just want this problem to go away. I just want this to be better. I just want my physical health to change. This is what I want. I'm not telling you it's some kind of formula. If you desire that, then those things will get fixed. What I'm telling you is I don't know what will happen to the outside things. Only God knows. But what I know is that he will use it for his glory. And I can know, and I can tell you this. From personal experience in my life, from temptation and from trial. That it will be the best thing. It will be the best thing. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It might be really, really hard. But it'll be the best thing. God's glory in your life will bring you unspeakable joy. It'll bring you peace that surpasses all understanding. Your situation may not change. Those people who have sinned against you may still be the exact same. I can't change them and you can't change them. God isn't after changing your situation. He wants to change you. See, as we walk through the book of Jonah, is that he wants to change Jonah. But I hope what we see in today's passage, as we look at these realities of sin, that sin, it's intentional. We, we want to blame it somewhere else. We think that that sometimes helps us. We think then I can maybe just get away from some guilt and shame, and we don't really know how to deal with guilt and shame, and guilt and shame of itself is, it is it's there to stay, and you, there, we can pretend it's not there, but it's always there, and it's so dangerous because it'll drive us to desperation. But if you have no category for the grace of God, it is, it is terrifying. But if you know who God is, You know that he wants to help you, that he's full of grace and pity and love and compassion. Then you don't have to curb your guilt and shame. You get to say, here it is and here I am. You can draw near to that throne of grace with confidence. Because you will be forgiven and free in Christ and Christ alone. Because your sin will have been atoned for in his perfect death and resurrection. It will be no more. He'll put an end to get guilt and shame. You don't have to fear sin because you will have a healthy fear of God. And as you learn those things, you'll realize that you cannot outrun his grace. His grace is bigger and better than you ever dreamed it would ever be. It is beautiful and it does not end. So here's my challenge to you this morning. No matter where you are or how you came into us today, 
I want to warn you that if you continue to live life your own way, you will find yourself in a desperate situation. If you're lucky, that'll happen in this life. And God will use that to bring you to himself. But one day, all of us will stand before a holy judge and a holy God, and we will all be in a desperate situation that will want to escape. Here's the good news. There's a way to escape the wrath of God. And there's a way to escape your desperate situation today. Flee from sin. Repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And you will stand before a holy God and he will stand and he will cover you in his righteousness and he will look to you and he will say, good job, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into my rest. And you will enter into eternal joy for all time and forever. Because Jesus ready stands to save you. If you do not know him, today is the day. You can talk to me or somebody else at our church. We're happy to tell you what it looks like to serve Christ more. Right now, we're going to sing together as a time of contemplation. After I pray, and then we will come and take the Lord's Supper. As we sing, I want to encourage you Consider your sin. I can say that without fear of the guilt or shame that will creep into your life because there is grace. There is grace for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love you so much. As we prepare to sing this morning, I pray, God, that you help us just grapple with the words of this song that we wouldn't run away from our sin and our contribution to it, but Lord, that we could run headlong into it because we know there is grace and mercy before your throne. Because you sympathize with our weaknesses and because you take a prophet like Jonah and you use him later in this book to see an entire city repent before God. If you can use Jonah... You can use me and anybody else. I just pray for your blessing on the next couple weeks. Help us understand the depth of your grace as we look at this prophet who today is trying to escape. Praise be to God that grace cannot be outrun. I pray for the sinners in this room who are trying to run and conceal sin. Bring them to repentance and set them free this morning, God, that they would know grace cannot be outrun, that you stand ready to save them, and that your people are here ready to help them walk as you would have them walk. Help us run to you this morning where there are 10,000 charms 
of grace to be found. We ask this in your name. Amen.